0: Welcome to Stratford Mail, a production of Stratford Hall Historic Preserve, where the voices of American history still speak. Find us on the web at stratfordhall.org. This episode of Stratford Mail has been made possible by the generous support of Chapter 23 of the Colonial Dames of America. Here now is our Director of Research, Dr. Gordon Blaine Steffi.
1: On this seasonal special edition of Stratford Mail, ghosts and the woman who loved them. As the veil between the worlds grows thin, which is what the ancient festival of Samhain commemorates and newer festivals of Hallow Tide and Halloween only dimly remember, our minds attune to what Victorian author Catherine Crow called the night side of nature, a category that included ghosts and hauntings. Around this time every year, many historic sites offer ghost tours, spirit walks, or some other form of haunted attraction. In his 1915 book, Historic Virginia Homes and Churches, Robert Lancaster observed that
2: no old Virginia mansion is quite complete without a ghost.
1: Now, I don't think Lancaster wanted us to study that claim too closely. Maybe it's good old-fashioned embroidery like saying, no old Virginia mansion is quite complete without cicadas screaming in the shimmering heat or a hound dog or three dozing beneath a hazy sky. Still, we should take Lancaster more seriously than maybe he meant it and ask, why are historic Virginia homes incomplete without ghosts and ghost lore? Let's take a roundabout way to an answer. I'll start by telling you the first true story of a haunted house. What do I mean true? I just mean that it wasn't circulated as fiction, but rather as a report of something that happened. And it happened more than 2,000 years ago, and was later reported in the correspondence of a first-century Roman intellectual named Pliny. The story goes that a Stoic philosopher named Athenodorus is in the market for lodging in Athens. A large, infamous house sits derelict and available as a cheap rental, but it's suspiciously cheap, and Athenodorus shakes the lowdown on the house out of the rental agent, who confesses that the house is haunted. But Athenodorus is a philosopher, and undeterred by superstition, He rents the house, makes himself comfortable, and settles in that first night for an evening of reading and writing. Now let's listen to Pliny.
2: The first part of the night passed in total silence as usual. At length, a clanking of iron and rattling of chains was heard. But he neither lifted his eyes nor laid down his pen, and in order to keep calm and collected, tried to pass the sounds off to himself as something else. The noise increased and drew near, till it seemed at the door... And at last in the chamber, he looked up and recognized the ghost exactly as it had been described to him. It stood before him, beckoning with a finger, like a person calling another. In reply, Athenodorus made a sign with his hand that it should wait a little, and dropped his eyes again to his papers. The ghost then rattled its chains over the head of the philosopher, who looked up and seeing it beckoning as before,
1: immediately arose, and light in hand. Followed it. Athenodorus follows the ghost until it vanishes, marking the spot at which it vanishes. And the next day, he contacts the authorities, asking them to excavate that spot, which they do. The story continues, and the skeleton of a man in chains was found there.
2: For the body, having lain a considerable time in the ground, was putrefied and mouldered away from the fetters. The bones, being collected together, were publicly buried, and thus. After the ghost was appeased by the proper ceremonies, the house was haunted no more.
1: Now, if you've ever heard a ghost story, that should have felt familiar, and precisely because it expresses themes and motifs common to ghost stories, including chain rattling, which carries with it the connotation of compulsion to linger. The central theme of that ancient ghost story is that this man was dead too soon, likely murdered, and his remains were denied proper burial. His spirit was therefore restless, Culturally, we desire the dead to rest in peace. We say it, we write it, we intend it. Rest in peace. Many of the ghost stories we tell are about when this doesn't happen, about when the living and the dead have unfinished business with one another, whether that unfinished business is an improper burial, or a denial of justice, or a difficult, underappreciated, and unacknowledged history. To that extent, ghost stories are folk portals to knowledge of the past. They assert this place has a significant past, and they demand that we ask, what happened here? And so we ask, and thus set foot on the road to discovering, perhaps telling, true stories behind the hauntings. This is just what happened to Athenodorus. The ghost rattled his chains until Athenodorus consented to pay attention. Their restlessness makes us restless. And the end game isn't exorcism or ghost busting, it's Attention. The great-granddaughter of French-American industrialists and founder of the DuPont dynasty of Delaware, Marguerite Lamont DuPont married into the Lee family of Virginia. In addition to her 1936 literary biography of Arthur Lee of Stratford, Marguerite DuPont Lee compiled and published two books of ghost lore, Virginia Ghosts in 1930 and Virginia Ghosts and Others in 1932. Her preoccupation with ghosts wasn't all that unusual. Marguerite was born in the heyday of spiritualism, a popular religion movement of 19th century America marked by the view that the spirits of the dead can communicate with the living, often through an intermediary called a medium who communed with the dead in a trance state at an organized event called a seance. Only four years before Marguerite was born, the first transatlantic telegraph cable connected the continents, and this ability to create fast, invisible communication across vast distances reinforced hopes for communicating across the ultimate threshold of death. By 1890, the census, which survives only in fragmentary form, reported 45,000 spiritualists across 45 states and territories. Marguerite was an avowed spiritualist with a special interest in ghost photography, the attempt to capture the invisible around us on film or photographic plates, a practice defended against debunkers by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of savant detective Sherlock Holmes. Elementary, On September 29, 1915, the Pittsburgh Press paraphrased research printed in the Journal of the American Society for Psychical Research, the nation's first society dedicated to the study of parapsychology and paranormal phenomena. The newspaper reported that a woman apparently possessed of an unexplainable mediumistic power obtained curious results while operating an ordinary Kodak camera. That woman was Marguerite DuPont-Lee, who, in attempting to take a photograph of a portrait of herself, discovered her photos mysteriously to include a portrait of a man she'd known, or a pencil sketch of Mark Twain, or an empty chair. Now, where some saw defects of a technology still in its infancy, or tricks played by charlatans on the credulous, others like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and Marguerite saw in ghost photography apparitions and residues of the departed past, proof of the dead among the living. The old stereotype of women as passive meant that they were seen as naturally suited to mediumship, a kind of receptivity, and many women discovered empowerment and employment as mediums. This may be why spiritualism and progressive politics of the 19th and early 20th centuries flocked together. In the 1850s, a spiritualist named Mary Davis proclaimed,
0: Spiritualism has inaugurated the era of women.
1: And rights activist Elizabeth Cady Stanton herself observed that,
0: The only religious sect in the world that has recognized the equality of women is the spiritualists.
1: It should come as little surprise, then, that Marguerite was not only passionate about ghosts, but also about the women's suffrage movement, to which she was a significant donor. And she walked in the great women's suffrage procession on March 3, 1913 in Washington, D.C., the first civil rights march in our capital. Other activist marches would follow in the footsteps of suffragists like Marguerite. And that march put significant pressure on Congress to reconsider a federal women's suffrage amendment, culminating in 1919 and 1920 with the passage and ratification of the 19th Amendment. Her passion for women's rights was on view in an opinion she wrote to the editor of the Baltimore Sun in the face of stark opposition to making the University of Virginia co-ed. The
0: real and forceful antagonism to the University of Virginia as a co-educational institution is due to the degeneracy of the male Virginia intellect and soul.
1: In her 1928 DC tell-all, Painter Marietta Andrews writes that a chorus of agreement would meet the suggestion that Marguerite Dupont-Lee was the most willful woman in Washington. Andrews observes that Marguerite assimilated gunpowder, a Dupont commodity, with her mother's milk, and consequently, from early childhood, she registered superlative willfulness, not always a reprehensible quality. Not always, indeed, given Marguerite's long and aggressive record of private and public philanthropy among the poor in D.C. and elsewhere. As confirmation of her early tendency in later life, Andrews writes that she claims to have as much right to criticize a bishop as an ashman, the worker who clears the hearth of last night's fires. Her indifference to social position also translated in later life to indifference to the vagaries of high society and fashion, though she confessed to wearing long white gloves in her earlier unregenerate years. The 1966 edition of Marguerite's Virginia Ghosts contains descriptions and stories from more than 100 historic sites in Virginia, including photographs of some of those sites and, in a few cases, of the deceased believed to haunt them. Marguerite's collection is a product of its time, an archive of ghost lore more nostalgic for 18th century gentility than reflective about the system of inequality that made it possible. Later generations will nuance and supplement this ghost lore and mainstream history to tell fuller, more complex narratives about the American past. The stories Marguerite collects highlight the availability right now of significant history at sites that make a claim to our care and protection. The stories aren't scary, but wistful and inviting. Marguerite Tells No Tale of Stratford Hall Perhaps because Stratford changed hands in 1929, the year before Marguerite published Virginia Ghosts, and was still in the process of being restored when Virginia Ghosts and others appeared in 1932. Now this isn't to say that Stratford has no ghost lore, only that circumstances prevented its inclusion. But that wasn't the case at nearby Mount Airy Plantation, traditional home of the Talo family. Francis Lightfoot Lee of Stratford and later Minokin married his second cousin, Rebecca Taylor, daughter of Colonel John Taylor, who established Mount Airy a mere 19 miles from Stratford. Frank and Becky are buried in the Taylor family cemetery on the grounds of Mount Airy. And Marguerite relates this tale of haunted Mount Airy.
0: Close to the water's edge in Richmond County. May still be found traces of the foundations of Old Placefield, the early home of Colonel John Taylor. Colonel Taylor, in seventeen fifty eight, built upon the same extensive plantation the splendid mansion called Mount Airy. Above the Rappahannock, and far beyond its reach, framed in a setting of sunny fields and shady forests of oak and cedar, it is the custodian of a superb collection of portraits and priceless heirlooms built of native brown stone and of the white sandstone quarried on Aquia Creek this imposing edifice is adorned by curved corridors extending to two-storied wings placed far from the dwelling one of these additions was before the revolution the master's office schoolroom and guest house and in it today is the haunted room where the ghost of a woman is still seen from time to time. In 1850, a young lady, Miss Mary Leeper, arrived one Friday morning, having been engaged to teach the children of the household. The family were leaving in a few hours to be absent over the weekend, and Mrs. Taylor remarked to the newcomer, as she was shown her room on the ground floor, that if she felt at all timid there was an upstairs room. That night Miss Leeper awoke during the night, and was surprised to see an old woman, with white hair in the room. She was dressed in an old-fashioned costume and coming towards the bed, with her hands extended as though to push the curtains apart, although they were already open. Gazing at the figure for a moment, believing it must be a dream, she closed her eyes, then opened them again. There stood the woman. This is very strange, Miss Leper thought. No one could get into this house. Continuing to watch the apparition a few minutes, it gradually drifted into a corner of the room and disappeared, but the sound of sobbing and moaning could be heard for some time.
1: Here is an invitation to look again, to ask, what happened here? The mystery orients us toward the history of that place and encourages us to discover its untold stories. Who might she have been? What might her grief have been about? Apparently, Miss Leeper experienced the same haunting the next two nights, and when the family returned to Mount Airy, Mrs. Taylor, according to Marguerite, exclaimed,
0: Mercy, you don't mean to tell me you slept in that room? Why, it's haunted.
1: Marguerite Dupont Lee died on Halloween, October 31st, 1936, She was 73 years old, and if fate is kind, she rests in peace in Congressional Cemetery in Washington, D.C. She was survived by two sons, one of whom, Casanova Gardner Lee, Jr., was a founder of the Society of the Lees of Virginia and was active in efforts to buy and restore Stratford Hall chiefly through his wife, Dorothy Vandergrift Lee, one of the original directors of the foundation, now association that purchased and restored Stratford Hall. All this takes us back to our question— Why are historic Virginia homes incomplete without ghosts? Very simply, to be haunted by the dead would seem to belong to the human condition. If we believe, if we do not believe, images of the departed nevertheless inhabit our dreams, our landscapes, and places we call home. In Virginia, where so many homes reach so far into the distant past, the dead crowd us, demanding to be remembered properly, to be remembered for their struggles, simply to be remembered. Ghosts are our reminders, whether you take them to be symbolic or actual, that our histories are incomplete. There is more work to do. As for the night side of Stratford, well, that's a tale for another season. From Stratford Hall Historic Preserve in Westmoreland County, Virginia, I'm Director of Research Dr. Gordon Blaine Steffi. Thank you for listening, and join me again in late December when Stratford Mail returns for its second season meantime please share Stratford mail with everyone you know and help us to elevate this incredibly significant historic site to the prominence it deserves
0: Do more than just listen contribute online at www.stratfordhall.org stroke support -stratford.